Good Monday afternoon. May I be of the first to say good afternoon on another sunny, beautiful day. Nice to be with you here, noon to two, Monday through Friday. And if you can't make it noon to two, if that's not convenient for you, go to thegreatvoice.com and listen to the show on a podcast. And you can press a button and it'll be downloaded to you every day. Thegreatvoice.com. What a weekend. Rieger, a lot of sports a lot of good football, a lot of close games, and then there was, of course, the Lions game. Yeah. Um, that What's happen- that all about? What uh, in the world's going well, on here? Well, you know, uh, that happens sometimes in the NFL. You'll run into a, a game when you're on a roll that helps you refocus for the rest of the season, and this weekend was that game. I didn't like hearing... The experts, and all you guys are experts compared to me, but I didn't like hearing one of the announcers say in one of the follow-up shows, the Lions did not come prepared to play. I didn't like to hear that at all. Um, Yeah, you can say they weren't prepared. You can say injuries. Um, You know, they they just ran into a uh, a buzzsaw. And uh, sometimes in, uh, in sports, when the momentum starts to swing one way, you just get, uh, you know, engulfed, and that's what the that's what happened to the Lions. They, they, could, mowed, they just they just couldn't do anything. They, they got mowed no, down. Yeah, yep, no pressure on Lamar Jackson. They let him sit back there for forever. And uh, well, it was a heck of a time for Lamar to yeah. all of a sudden have his best game ever. Well, listen, this is a former MVP of the league, so let's not you know forget. And not to mention the fact the Ravens are a good team. Uh, yeah, you know well, they sure were Sunday. I mean, you know, maybe maybe Coach Harbaugh just wanted to put more points up on the Lions than uh, his brother did on Michigan State. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I always wonder about things like that, how the brothers uh, look at each other and their jobs. Do you think Coach Harbaugh goes to these games? Yeah, yeah. yes, does. Oh, he yes, does. They're very yeah. close. Yeah. It's his brother. Yeah. I mean, it's a close family. I've yeah. met the father, the mother. Yes. And uh, I, but I haven't met the brother. And I you know the defensive, the defensive coordinator for the Ravens was with Michigan la- uh, last year. Now he's back with the Ravens. So they 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 share coordinators. So yeah. All right. And then it was uh, it was tough. It was what everyone said it would be. But I always said, don't say that. You got to throw all the statistics out the door. You don't. It's a big game, and no matter who's supposed to win, you never know. Well. It went exactly the way people said it would go in East Lansing, and I happened to be there thanks to uh, Dr. Teresa K. Woodruff, the interim president, who, by the way, is really beloved by the students at Michigan State University. I've never been stopped before. I'm wearing my little thing around my neck that says I'm going into the president's box or something. I don't know. Or maybe I was walking away from Cowell's, Cowell's, Cowell's house the president's uh, residence for a pre-game activity. And uh, a group of students said, do you know the president? I said, well, I kind of do, yeah. Would you, if you see her, would you tell her we love her? Just random students. That doesn't happen very often on a college campus these days. uh, How long did you stay? Oh, I stayed uh, through... I, let's see, I had an an event before the game, three hours before the game, I uh, was at an event, um, and then I went to the game. I probably stayed to the half. I'm going to say the half. Yeah. Because I got home just as the game was ending. It's a long drive, and I couldn't have done it, I must tell you. I don't want you to, don't feel sorry for me, Argentina. I didn't... Uh, 
Uh, I didn't drive. I had Laith, the one and only Laith Hermuz, who uh, my metro car, and I wouldn't have done it otherwise because we we had to swing around. We picked up Sophie and Sebastian, and I went and met his parents uh, tailgating, and I I would never have ventured along around the campus. It's a madhouse. And I couldn't have handled it. I I would have been lost. I would have never made the game. It would have been. But Lath was cool as a cucumber. He got through all everywhere he had to get through. And uh, God bless him. He, he is how I get to a lot of things now, frankly. Just getting harder and harder to get to all these events. Uh, but with uh, Lath and uh, Metro cars, I depend on them. And they've always been great. So I went around. I probably got home by the end of the game. And it was late. And there was And there was a lot of traffic, frankly. There were a lot of seemingly Michigan State fans who were leaving early. Not, I didn't see a lot of. There were a lot of Michigan fans there, and it took a while for the stands to fill up the way I thought they would be. But they did finally fill up. But that was a tough game for MSU. And something happened, and I'm sure I was in position, but I missed it altogether. You know when you go to the movies. And they show these little trivia things that flash up on the screen. They ask you a question about something. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, they apparently at the stadium use one of those same services that just gives them a bunch of, uh, they just roll up there kind of mindless uh, trivia questions and then trying to keep the crowd's attention. And, And I don't know why, because, you know, remember we used to go to a football game and all they do is play football. Anyway, um, so... One of the trivia questions, and I missed it altogether, and i got to believe I was in the stadium when it happened because I was in the stadium before a lot of people. Um, apparently, they, they came up with this, this company that they use, but now no longer use, came up with a trivia question regarding Adolf Hitler. Now, i got to tell you, it doesn't take much to say to yourself, you know, there's so many great trivia questions out there. Why do we want to use where and when was Adolf Hitler born or whatever it was? It was something like where was he born? So this has gotten people up in arms. This is a if if there were no social media, I think it would have been best to leave it alone. It came and went. A lot of people didn't see it. Certainly understood it was a trivia question, whatever. But now we've had to have the athletic director, Alan Haller, apologize We've had the trustees at MSU angry beyond their usual level of anger. They fired the company, but I, I sense I've heard, I think somebody got fired also, a person. Do you yeah. know anything about that? Yeah, somebody did get, uh, yeah, this, is a, this was quite the big mess, actually. It was a big mess. I don't know. It, it seems like they can't buy a break in East Lansing now. No. If it isn't one thing, it's another. And then this, a trivia question that they didn't come up with regarding Adolf Hitler. I mean, you couldn't have guessed that they'd have a problem like this one. But they did. And uh, it's, a, it's a bad one. I mean, this is, this, it's just, I wish for them only the best, but it's, it's not easy, and there's so many things going on. All I, I, I'll come away again with the positive that Dr. Teresa Woodruff is, from what I could see, a beloved figure on that campus. And they can use a few beloved figures on the campus of Michigan State University. Now, I don't know what they do to try to convince her to, to really 
try to run for the real job or the full-time job, I guess. But she said she's not. So, Well, if you want some really good news for Michigan State, their basketball team is going to be really good this year. And that's great news to hear, too. We Tom Izzo them. has a team this year. Well, and, and he's done so well when he hasn't had a team. But he has a team. And uh, God bless Tom Izzo. Talk about another bright spot at Michigan State University who understands every aspect of what he is doing there as a mentor to these young, in this case, young men, so that they can be better human beings and contributors to society once they go through his program. It is absolutely incredible what he does. So you're right. That's a good point. Another good point. Love that. Uh, let's see. Let me show you. I got this. I got that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, ju- I, I saw this little stat. So far this year, some 472,300 American workers have gone on strike. You know what that number was two years ago? It could have been that high. 58,100. So from 58,100 two years ago on strike, now across this great country, 472,300. American workers. This seems to be the year of the strike. It is absolutely the year of the strike. What do you say we hold out? Nah, I'm still working. Uh, Although this would be the year, wouldn't it, I guess? Yep. Lots to talk about, including the embarrassing Republican Party. Uh, They couldn't get it done, so now nine more people are running for speaker, including our own Bergman. We'll get the very latest from Ryan Schmelz coming up here on News Talk 760 WJR. We're in focus with Paul W. Smith. Glad we're together. Happy to welcome Ryan Schmelz, Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor. That line, embarrassing for the Republican Party, that wasn't my line. That was uh, on Meet the Press from uh, McCarthy, uh, Speaker, well, former, (laughs) the ousted (laughs) Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So he knows a thing or two about embarrassment. And now nine people have stepped up, including uh, Michigan's own uh, Mr. Uh, Jack Bergman. So uh, let's get the very latest from Ryan. Ryan, welcome to Focus. Always great to be on. How are you doing? I am I'm doing very well. Multiple Republican lawmakers lashing out at their GOP colleagues yesterday as the House remains frozen without a speaker, calling the situation embarrassing. And uh, I, I don't. I don't see light at the end of the tu- end of the tunnel, other than it being a speeding train coming right at us. Well, I, I think it just depends on what happens, right? You know, you have nine candidates. Uh, seven of them have signed a unity pledge to uh, support the nominee, no matter who it is, and that'll help wrangle in whoever doesn't vote uh, for the eventual nominee. But the reality is, you know, if, if this goes over smoothly, if a candidate who the the party likes wins and everyone falls in line, they'll be able to get the 217. But obviously there could be some things working against a number of these candidates if, in fact, they are to get the majority in conference. Yeah, nine different people, seven of them signing, saying they'll support whoever it is. But can any one of them get the 217, as you point out, Ryan Schmelz? It, it seems if if there was somebody who was so outstanding and would easily trot up and get 217 votes you would have thought they would have been there by now well certainly i think that that's something that's been posed to some members and they've said hey look there's a lot of people in there 
who can get that number who just we haven't put up yet. And in and, and, and Steve Scalise's case, he had a big support from the party, but unfortunately he didn't have the, the for him, he didn't have the support of many of the uh, non-establishment members. And of course the process for getting him elected ticked a lot of people off along the way too. Uh, in Jordan's case, I think we all kind of saw that there would, may have been some issues, you know, with his brand of politics. He is somebody who has been very partisan as, as somebody running the Judiciary Committee. He has made a lot of enemies with Democrats, and he's, of course, gained a lot of notoriety for some of his uh, be- behavior in Congress. So there are probably members out there who might not be Jordan's brand of politics in terms of how he acts, but may represent where he stands on a lot of the issues without making as much noise. And that could be all that somebody needs to get to 17 in many ways. Ryan Schmelz, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. The lawmakers vying for the job include veterans of the House, committee chairman, a top member of the Republican leadership, and a sophomore, nine Republicans announcing they'll run for speaker. And uh, and, and a flood of lawmakers began campaigning right away. Do you have an odds-on favorite behind the scenes? Are you guys in, in your business keeping track of this in the world of reporting? Do you guys have anybody? Well, I think a lot of people are going to look at Tom Emmer and think that he probably has, you know, the, the clearest path to winning the party nomination for the simple fact that he's got the name recognition and the leadership experience. You know, he's the majority whip. That's the highest ranking uh, position anyone in this field has. So that's going to help him get, you know, a lot of support. He's got the endorsement of Speaker McCarthy, whose, you know, uh, word carries a lot right now within this party. So he certainly does have a lot of advantages when it comes to this. But, you know, Former President Trump is not the biggest fan of Emmer, which is definitely going to work against him. So, well, yeah, because he, be, uh, he was one of two in this grouping, or well, yeah. two representatives: Tom Emmer of Minnesota, Austin Scott of Georgia, um, voted to object to certifying President Biden's 2020 victory in at least one state. All yeah, candidates, they, they were, except for they, these two. Yeah, correct. Yeah, these were the two who uh, were were in favor of certifying the election. That has been something that former President Trump has not been a huge fan of. But he'll never forget it either. Yeah, and it's something that he's definitely using against Emmer. So can he overcome that? Uh, And I think the big question is, if he were to win the party nomination, how much of a battle would former President Trump put up about this? Would he simply let, you know, just keep quiet and let this play out? Or would he aggressively be calling some of his most loyal supporters in Congress and say, no, you need to stop him from becoming speaker at all costs? I think that's a big question mark if Emmer were to get it. Number three Republican in the House, uh, as you say, the majority whip. That's the uh, representative Tom Emmer, 62 years old. Um, Well, there's just a lot of guys to go through. He's going to run for majority leader, too, if uh, Scalise, uh, in fact, you know, was going to become speaker. So that position did not open up, but his could open up if he gets this. Jack, our Jack Bergman, uh, mm-hmm. he says he's a temporary option. He would work to steady the ship and return normalcy to the House because he's, he's 76, a retired Marine Corps right. lieutenant general. And, uh, and he basically says he would just serve out the term. He wouldn't be interested in holding the job another term, I guess. And, and you know, he's highly regarded, highly respected. Yeah. Just depends it, on mean, what I, these guys all think. Yeah, right. And if he's somebody who's going to get lost in the field because it is a crowded one, uh, or is there something that he's got that other, other candidates do not have that's going to pull him ahead? You know, the Michigan delegation is fairly big in the Republican Party. 
uh, for Congress, but it's definitely not what Texas is or it's not what, you know, Florida is. And that's what's maybe working in the favor of somebody like Byron Donald, who has already landed two moderate members who were voting against Jordan to vote for him. And this is somebody who's in the Freedom Caucus. So could that be enough to get him over as a dark horse candidate? You know, Bergman definitely is one of those dark horse candidates, but there's, you know, a decent amount working against him like there is working for him. Mike Johnson of Louisiana, 51, a lawyer, former chairman of the Conservative Republican Study Committee, and evangelical Christian who was a member of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, yes. Going to be fascinating to follow where he f- fits yeah, in. Yeah, right. This. Some, somebody, who, somebody who was very much having a lot of pressure when it came to the decision of if, if he was going to vote for Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan because of how close he was with both of them, you know. Uh, very close with Jim Jim Jordan because of his time on the judiciary, but also, you know, from the same home state as Steve, Steve Scalise and has known him for a very long time. So that decision was really weighing on him. I'm not quite sure if we ever figured out where he voted on that because it is behind closed doors. Uh, but the reality is, you know, now he's the candidate for Speaker of the House. And, you know, could he be somebody who's able to get over that hump? It, it depends. Pete Sessions, 68 the longest-serving yep. member of Congress so far who is considering running for Speaker. Um, yep. You know, there's a, there are a lot of people here, and uh, you, you just wonder why they weren't in the first couple of uh, uh, spots, I guess, if they, right. if they have so much going for them that they think they can get the 217 votes that nobody else could. Um, you just wonder why now nine of yep. them step no. forward. Yeah, and it's a fair question to ask. But, I mean, you look at Steve Scalise, it's somebody who is the majority leader. That's usually the next in line to be speaker. I mean, it was kind of hard to compete against him when he decided he was going to run. But he ran into those issues of, you know, maybe being a little bit too much like McCarthy and having some of the anti-establishment against him. Do these other candidates have that issue? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. Well, still embarrassing no matter how you look at it, and it will be exploited by the Democrats, as the Republicans would do the same on the other side if they had this kind of a mess. We'll follow it, and you'll follow it even more closely for us, Ryan. Thanks for your good work. Hey, have a good one, Paul. Thank you, as always. Ryan Schmelz, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor, right here, right now, in focus. It's 1228. We do appreciate it. Noon to 2, Monday through Friday, if you can't be here. Catch us on our podcast, thegreatvoice.com, thegreatvoice.com. Always a pleasure checking in with Daniel Howe, senior editor, business columnist uh, for the Detroit News. And what else? I mean, it's what's the news that we're living with, and uh, we can live or die with this news. I don't think people take me seriously enough to know what risk is involved right now with the auto industry in Detroit, Michigan. We'll get further into that as we check in with Daniel House as the UAW presses Detroit automakers for a better offer and threatens more walkouts. Daniel, it's always a pleasure. Good afternoon, my friend. Good afternoon. Yeah, we got one this morning. Uh, uh, uh Sterling Heights Assembly, where they build the Ram 1500, uh, another high, high uh, revenue, high profit plant going down. Uh, I was expected a GM plant probably going to come here soon as well. Um, but uh, UAW appears to be making a lot of headway uh, contract-wise, uh, but, you know, is battling three companies at the same time. We've never seen something like this before. And what you have pointed out is that so far, sadly, this technique has been working, which means the next, if there is a next time, 
it'll be far worse in terms of the relationship and the schism between the workers, which Bill Ford has referred to as family, and the management. And that's a problem going forward. Uh, Speaking of Ford, you know, we go back to the Peter J. Pistillo days. Ford had a fabulous relationship with the UAW. And they continued to have a fabulous relationship until Sean Fain came on the scene. And now he's blown up a relationship that has been good and good for the workers for generations. That, along with many things that he's done, makes no sense to me. And shame on the auto industry if they actually reward that kind of behavior. Well, we may be too far down the road, uh, and that that reward is likely to come. I mean, these contracts that have been proffered by the companies, uh, they're still in negotiation, but they certainly seem to be very good contracts from a, the union's perspective and difficult probably for the company from the company's perspective. But I think you put your finger on something, Paul, that a lot of folks who haven't been around as long as you and I have don't maybe fully appreciate. There, is, there was a sense, I think, between the companies and the union, a sense of teamwork um, and that there was a common foe in, the, in some of the foreign competitors who are operating down south and in other parts of the world. And Sean Fain basically said, we're not going to be, a, we're not going to team up with uh, companies against uh, uh, foreign automakers uh, in the future. And I think that's a continuation of kind of what he said to, to uh, uh, Bill Ford as well, after Bill Ford made his remarks. And, uh, you know, that was very significant to me, um, what Bill said and then what, how Sean responded. I, I think basically said, you know, a pox on all your houses. And yeah. this, this, this is a class... Essentially, this is a class warfare, uh, class war, and um, uh, and I suspect that there's more than a few uh, hourly workers out there, UAW members, who are saying, number one, uh, I don't feel that way, uh, and my colleagues don't feel that way, and number two, let's just vote on the damn contract uh, instead of, if it's so good, um, let's vote on it, and, and I think... Uh, we're starting to see uh, evidence on social media of people who are starting to get very frustrated with the union leadership and, and them apparently dragging this out. Billions of dollars lost by by people that are not at the OEMs, people that are not on strike, parts suppliers, other people, communities. Everybody's suffering when something like this happens. And rather mm-hmm. than just hear me or go on and on about how bad I think it is, look, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't work for someone who was the enemy. If I all of a sudden felt the people that own WJR were the enemy, I wouldn't work for them for any amount of money. So I don't know where Sean Fain gets off on this little tangent that he does. Let me try to open the eyes of those workers you just talked about. The average worker who's been around a long time has loved the fact that they've had a an improved lifestyle because of the auto industry. They watch their grandparents, their parents, and now them, and they want their kids to do it. It's a legacy kind of a generational job that's been a pretty doggone good one. But here's a little something, because I think you're going to start to need to hear from the workers on the lines, the workers speaking up and saying, okay, enough already. We haven't looked at these people as the enemy until you told us they were, Sean. But here is some proof in the pudding. And I want you to pay close attention, and you tell me what's wrong with this statement. 
Here we have the automotive experts at Edmunds testing SUVs of all shapes, sizes, and prices. During these evaluations, certain models rise to the top with qualities such as roomy seating, cargo areas, comfortable ride, easy-to-use touchscreens, and technology features. SUVs for buyers on a budget. Here they are. The 2023 Kia Sorento, the 2024 Honda CRV, the 2024 Hyundai Palisade, the 2024 Mazda CX-50, the 2024 Subaru Outback. What do you find interesting in this list? None of them are made by Detroit companies. Not one of them made by Detroit companies. And these are the vehicles where they still make a nice profit so they can continue to employ UAW workers. And not one of these top five vehicles are one made by a U.S. company. What else do they need? And and that is the large, I think, one of the largest segments in the market. It is. So, I mean, so, you know... Look, I, 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 I get it, and I, and, I, and I think a lot of other people uh, are going to wake up and realize that this uh, fight is probably not worth the cost. Certainly not worth destroying the industry, and I say that to both sides. I say that for the people in the management positions who might give in because they know they're not going to be around in four or five years when it all explodes, if it even takes that long. Shame on them for that as well. You're right. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, You bet. Talk to you again soon. Daniel Howes, the best. From the Detroit News, uh, staying on top of all of this, a senior editor, business columnist extraordinaire, here in Focus on WJR. It's a mess, yes, in Washington. The Republicans are embarrassing themselves, and they're embarrassed themselves. Uh, What are you going to say? Uh, I turn to the guy that I trust and admire so much for a variety of reasons. Congressman uh, Tim Wolberg is on the other end of our line, uh, representing the 5th District of Michigan, and uh, stuck in the middle of all this trying to find uh, the the 56th Speaker of the House. And uh, there is some light, maybe, at the end of the tunnel that isn't a speeding train coming right at us. Congressman Wolberg, always a pleasure and a privilege to welcome you to FOCUS. Well, my friend, with that type of introduction of me, I ought to just hang up right now so nothing <laughs> I say will change anybody's opinion. <laughs> so. no, I'm, I just speak from the heart on this thing, and, and this, is, this is embarrassing. I don't know what's happened to the Republican Party, but it isn't good. I thought it was just in Michigan. It apparently is across the country. So how do we heal and how do we fix this and actually have a two-party system? Yeah, that's 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 a big question. One thing that I'm proud of that Republicans are still independent. We're independent thinkers. Uh, we uh, we look for solutions, and we don't just take a status quo or as lemmings follow uh, as the Democrats over the cliff. But there are times when we ought to work as a team and show loyal, loyalty to other members of our team, uh, and and get along in such a way that we show leadership, and we haven't done that. And it, again, I, I can state very clearly, as I've said to some of my good Democrat friends, said it kindly, but I said, listen, it was 208 of you that started this. 208 Democrats uh, followed one renegade Republican who got seven others to follow him. So 208 Democrats, eight Republicans put the Speaker of the House out, who was doing a great job moving the House forward, moving our bills forward. Uh, Seventy percent of our appropriations package had already been passed. 
and all of a sudden we come to a grinding halt for the last three weeks because of a minority opinion, a minority, 210, 211 Republicans supported the Speaker, eight Republicans opposed him, combining with 208 Democrats did it. Well, now how do we get out of it? So we have some good people step up to the plate last week. Um, Kevin McCarthy gave some wise, sage advice, humble advice as well, uh, that no, he wouldn't take take it again, but we needed to get it done. Um, uh, Steve Scalise, how do you fault a guy who almost gave his life for our cause? How how do you fault Jim Jordan, who stood up and done investigations well, has led the team and has worked worked with the Speaker in the last uh, four years very, very closely, uh, but ultimately a decision from both sides of our ranks decided we weren't going to accept what was normally the process, that when we put forward a speaker nominee, the team stands together and votes for him or her. We didn't do that. That's got us in the spine. Now we have nine nine members, all good good men, uh, running for this seat. Um, Maybe maybe four that I think really could do the job right from the get-go. And we ought to make that decision um, tomorrow morning, as quickly as possible, and then by Wednesday be able to vote for a speaker. I, I make this commitment, Paul W., that I will support whatever our majority comes up with by a majority vote within our conference, uh, even if it isn't my first choice, because we need to move forward and we need to take uh, America back. Well, um, I, isn't there a forum tonight where they're meeting to talk about this? Maybe I have this wrong with the. No, you're right. No, there you're is, right. Okay. Uh, There's a forum tonight where they will give they'll give their campaign speeches, and then tomorrow they are officially nominated by uh, a nominator and two seconders. So it's going to be a long process with nine people. And is Jack Bergman our Jack Bergman? I like to say I'm a homer. Does he have a good chance? Well, I think he ought to. I'm certainly supporting him, not just because I'm dean of the delegation, but Jack's a good man, and he only wants it for the remainder of this term. Right. Uh, Which I think is a a wise decision for a man his age. We're out of time. Can you give me, I, I call upon you only for those of us who believe in prayer, if you could put on your pastor hat again, maybe a 15-second prayer for the times, because we need it. Father, may we do what is right, and our next thing that we do is right after that. Um, you can bless that uh, when we are uh, not serial killers, but surgeons, uh, saving the health of our patient, our nation. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Congressman, former pastor, once a pastor, always a pastor in my world, Tim Wahlberg. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Paul W. We've got another hour to go. We're glad we're together here on WJR. Hour number two on a sunny, beautiful Monday, October 23rd. I love this time of year. That is for sure. Hey, uh, this hour, we've got tickets to see Annie. Annie is playing Detroit's Fox Theater for five performances, May 3rd through the 5th. And we'll have a pair of tickets with your name on it. I don't know how they do it. The ninth caller when we ask for it, and they have your name on it. How about that? Pretty amazing. I hope that you'll uh, sign up and follow my Instagram account. I'm starting to get more active again. The Instagram, it is Paul W. Sminsta. Paul W. Sminsta. I, I don't remember exactly why I came up with that name, but I think the kids told me that would be a good one for Instagram. So that's what it is. Uh, most recently, I, I posted something that was sent to me by Kim. It says, before you think, uh, before, <laughs> there we go. Before you speak, think. Before you speak, think. 
The T stands for, is it true? The H, is it helpful? The I, is it inspiring? The N, is it necessary? And the K, is it kind? Before you speak, think. And some people have already uh, logged on to that and put in their own two cents saying, that's really good for before you post something as well. That is smart. That is good. couple of things here. Uh, we already know about the Lions. It was tough. It was bad. We already know about MSU. It was tough. It was bad. We know about U of M. It was great for those of us who follow. But I, uh, I, I thank Dr. Teresa K. Woodruff. This was the day that uh, we have Michigan and Michigan State fans together in the president's suite at the game, and she always is a great hostess. And, man, oh, man, do the students love her. I just had chance encounters with students, and they they said, well, if you're going to see the, the president, because I had the credentials and stuff, would you tell her we love her? That doesn't happen very often in a, in a college situation. So, hey, um... You know, we've got the UAW strike, and I just explained that the top five affordable great SUVs, not one of them, was made here by one of our big three companies. That's a note and something that people ought to weigh heavily. We take this auto industry for granted. We should not, especially these days, with the competition that we are facing. Just a note. Uh, Secondly, the... um, the thing I have railed on uh, a few times, uh, maybe more than you think I should, but Mr. Rieger, I keep saying, okay, so we're involved in a war in Ukraine. Okay, now we're involved in a war in Israel. Okay. And the people who are on the sidelines loving this are at least Russia and China. And I've said a million times before that if we had to take on one or the other, It'd be a battle, but I think we'd be okay. But I can promise you we can't beat them both together. So I make this note that just comes gleaned from the weekend news from the New York Times. The Chinese military, the People's Liberation Army, is on track to have more than 1,000 nuclear warheads by 2030 the Pentagon estimating, so it could be a low estimate. But most of these 1,000 nuclear warheads are capable of striking the continental United States. That's right. Over 1,000 nuclear warheads that China will have in their military pocket, missiles and other weapons, capable of striking the continental United States. Wait, there's something else buried in the paper, too. Beijing adds warheads and harasses U.S. jets. China's military has been taking increasingly dangerous actions to deter U.S. forces in the Asia-Pacific region, including maneuvers to intimidate American aircraft while also bolstering its nuclear capabilities. This is from the Pentagon for what they now know, and they don't know at all, obviously. The United States has recorded more coercive and risky air intercepts by the Chinese military in the past two years than in the previous decade. 
That from the Defense Department in their annual report to Congress on China's military might. And as we said a moment ago on a separate story, also buried in the paper, China is continuing to build up its strategic nuclear arsenal. Another story buried in the paper, in my concern about China and Russia teaming up against us. And if, of course, if they did do that, and if they did, God forbid, defeat the United States, then China would turn on Russia because they want to be the leader of the world. But here's the other story, New York Times, international story, page A6. You've heard about it already, but it's here. Russian authorities have detained an editor working for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, an American broadcaster funded by the United States government on charges of failing to register as a foreign agent. So they have, they have detained, Russia has detained yet another foreign journalist. Just a couple of stories that you might miss because they weren't, you know, big headline stories. But boy, oh boy, when you add them all up, I hope it makes you wonder or think about it. Maybe we'll uh, reach out to Bill Ford. He had a full-page story, full-page feature on Bill Ford, or as they refer to him as William Clay Ford Jr., which is proper. The junior goes on with the William Clay Ford. But if it's Bill Ford, you don't put junior with it. It's just Bill Ford. But that's another story. The automotive leader counsels patience as his company negotiates with the United Automobile Workers Union, which has shut three of his company's plants. That was before today. Uh, every negotiation is a roller coaster. One of the quotes in here, it's a big picture of Bill Ford and a whole page under the headline, Corner Office. Must be a feature they do always. This was in this past Sunday's New York Times. So uh, congratulations, Mr. Ford. I'm just wondering if he was pleased with the, the article or not. There's a story that was in over the, uh, the weekend, also in the New York Times. Or is this the Wall Street Journal? No, this is the Wall Street Journal. How will states pay for roads when gas taxes evaporate? As the number of electric vehicles grows and gasoline sales decline, governments are struggling to find new ways to fund infrastructure. That is something we've talked about a lot. Heck, we, even we haven't even talked about it lately. We talked about it so long ago. But in one of the sidebar headlines, based on projected EV sales, Michigan stands to lose $470 million annually in gas taxes. How are we going to handle that? Well, our roads are horrific with all the money we already have for the roads. Now lose half a billion dollars? I don't know. Did you see this one, uh, Mr. Rieger? I'll get you involved in this. Or Danielle Mason. Do either of you run on a regular basis? Um. I hear I hear Danielle's, <laughs> Danielle has reacted with laughter, so I'm going to say no. You know, I... I try to uh, I try to walk as much as I can. I don't it's know about the perfect I don't know about, exercise. I don't, about, I don't know about running. My brother does though. It's the walking is the perfect exercise. I don't know why I just don't do it. I've talked about it for years. Do as I say, not as I do. But listen to this: running is one of the most popular forms of exercise in America. It also may be one of the healthiest. They have found now 
this is crazy. Even a slow five-minute or ten-minute run offers tremendous long-term health benefits. A five-minute run. I can do that running to the post office slowly, not the post office, my mailbox, running to the end of the street or anything, five minutes of a slow run, ten minutes of a slow run, incredible long-term health gains. Come on. You egg me on and I'll egg you on and maybe we'll do it. Because we should. All I know is we will give tickets away to see Annie this hour. And we've got some great guests standing by. Paul W. Smith in focus on WJR. It's a very uh, low-key music today for our rejoiners, which, if you're listening at thegreatvoice.com on our podcast, there is no music, so you don't know what I'm talking about. Take my word for it. Low-key music. Jared Halpern's everything but low-key. He's a Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. And he's here to talk about what's going on with Israel, uh, the president facing some pressure for restraint. President, well, let me let me introduce you first. Jared, always a pleasure having you here. Thanks for having me. The president has absolutely nothing to do what is going to or not going to happen in Israel. At this point, they have been humoring him out of respect. They have a plan that they are going to carry out regardless of what President Joe Biden, other Israelis or Jewish people, it, it, it does not matter what anyone thinks anywhere in the world. They have a plan, and they are going to carry it out. And anyone who thinks otherwise has not paid attention to this little country since, it, uh, it, since its existence. That aside... Well, I mean, and, I don't, and I don't think that, that President Biden would disagree with you. Um, you know, we've heard time again from the administration that this is not uh, something that the United States is sort of involved in. Now, what the U.S. is doing is trying to make sure that the uh, circumstances exist in working with the Egyptians and working with the Israelis and working with the uh, Qataris uh, to ensure a couple of things. One, uh, that they can still get in some of this humanitarian aid through that southern uh, border between Egypt and Gaza. And you saw that happen over the weekend. The president spoke uh, about that with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, spoke about that over the weekend with some European leaders. She spoke about it over the weekend with the Pope as well in a phone call that the, pres uh, that the White House uh, uh, put out a statement on. Um, so that's the one part of this, right, is that they, they still want to make sure that, you know, as Palestinians in Gaza are evacuating from the north to the south, that some of that urgently needed medicine and, and things like that can go into place with some strong warning, right? You've also heard the president say, listen, if Hamas redirects this, steals it, that's it. Like, we're not going to be able to bring any more in, right? So kind of putting that line in the sand. The other part that is still ongoing as well, again, working with the Israelis, working with the Qataris, is seeing if any progress can be made to either rescue or secure the release of these 200-plus hostages who remain in Gaza, some of whom are Americans. Obviously, late last week, you saw the two uh, American women released on what Hamas said were humanitarian grounds. There are more than 200 others left. Um, a lot of concern about their well-being, about their safety, about their status as these days continue to move forward, and also what the prospects might be to secure their release 
um, given, obviously, the military response that Israel has underway. And so, again, you've heard the president certainly talk about Israel needs to respond. They need to take out Hamas. They need to do that on their own timeline and under their own way. At the same time, he is engaged in that region, I think, to do a couple of things in ensuring that at least um, some of the collateral issues that, that can spring up are not eliminated, but, but maybe reduced. The uh, the White House is uh, telling us now that there are uh, 32 uh, Americans now confirmed dead yeah. in the Hamas uh, cowardly attack. And uh, they're talking right now uh, about the Americans held hostage in Gaza. And mm-hmm. they are, I think, in the eyes of uh, Bibi Netanyahu, collateral damage if it happens, collateral damage, more damage caused by Hamas. Um, they've shown incredible restraint at this point, but they won't do it forever because they know that the longer they wait, the more prepared the enemy will be to be able to kind of try to trick and catch the Israelis off guard from coming through an area and then getting surrounded by Hamas coming up through the tunnels and uh, making it a massacre of the Israeli soldiers. I mean, it's a mess well, beyond listen, and, belief. You know, whether or not Israel showing restraint or, or preparing, I guess we'll wait to see. I mean, Israel knows firsthand the, the dangers of a ground invasion of Gaza. They've done it before. Um, right. They know that it is a highly populated area. Uh, they know that there is a very elaborate, uh, deep underground tunnel system. They are aware of uh, the ability of Hamas terrorists to kind of blend in with civilian populations. So, I mean, Israel's aware of. And so I think there, there is also a concern about carrying out a ground invasion in a way to reduce a lot of the concerns that you're laying out, right? You don't want um, Israelis to, you know, walk into a massacre, walk into an ambush. Um, ambush, that's the word. That's what a lot of the, and that's what a lot of the, the airstrikes we understand have been about, kind of laying that groundwork, taking out a lot of those threats from the air best they can before sending in uh, what appears to be a very large uh, military force. Tens of thousands of soldiers are now um, you know, on the, the front lines there. The other concern, obviously, is what happens in the north. Obviously, there's been a lot of exchange of fire with Hezbollah terrorists in uh, Lebanon and the concerns about a widening escalation. That's certainly something that Israel uh, and their leaders are aware of, have talked to President Biden about uh, this concern that it could be a two-front operation in the event that um, Hezbollah steps up its attacks and, and maybe comes in from the north. Yeah, I, but I can't help but think that Israel feels they can handle that more than we want to see it happen, of course. And and Israel has to take a close look at how they have treated the Palestinians for a very long time. There's absolutely no excuse for what Hamas did, none zero, right. regardless of however Israel, that people talk about apartheid, they talk about, um, Israelis are talking about the poor treatment of Palestinians. Uh, mm-hmm. But be that as it may, there's no excuse for what took place. And there will be retribution. There will be an effort on Israel's part to do away with a group that's trying often to destroy them, to wipe them out of existence. And that's what you've heard from from the administration as well, that, you know, the future of Gaza and any Palestinian state has to be free 
of Hamas, and, and remind, remember Hamas, uh, for all intents and purposes, is the governing body in Gaza, which is, again, a lot of the concern about humanitarian relief that needs to get in there um, and why President Biden has made clear that if they see that Hamas is redirecting this, taking advantage of it, from a practical standpoint, there's nothing that they'll be able to do to, to resupply, right? And so um, that's the other struggle is – and one thing that the President Biden has talked about and has talked about with Israeli leaders and he's talked about publicly is having a sense of what the plan might be post-Hamas. What right. does that look like in Gaza? Right. Um, there will be a power vacuum who fills that void. What does that look like? Um, because those have to be concerns for not just Israelis, but for the Middle East region as, as a whole. And a reminder, every time we talk, I have to say, to remember that Palestinian, if you're Palestinian, it does not mean you're Hamas. And it, and it certainly doesn't mean that you support Hamas. In fact, there are more Palestinians who probably would like Hamas to get the hell out of there, but can't do anything about it. And in the same way, in Lebanon... They're, they're, it's impossible for them to kick out Hezbollah. It's just not possible. And so you might see some people supporting them, but most of the peace-loving Lebanese, most of the peace-loving Palestinians don't want to be in this situation either. That's the other problem. Right. But we That's can't right. fix it right now. Jared Halpern, you always do a great job, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Jared Halpern, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor, right here in Focus with Paul W. Jr. All right, so Dave is new. Dave Rieger, new to my show, so he doesn't know this, but I'm going to tell him. He just sent me a story saying, this is interesting, and it says, these commonly used artificial sweeteners may be linked to heart disease. He doesn't know that years ago, I put the kibosh on all, and I still stand by this, all artificial sweeteners. They're all bad for you. You can take that to the bank. They're finally coming up with this, but I said it years ago. Just like I said, margarine was bad. Use butter in moderation. Use sugar, or better yet, you don't need to sweeten everything. That's just the way you were raised, and I was raised. Everything had to be sweet. It doesn't have to be. <sighs> Iced tea is great without sweetener, isn't it? Yes, and yet they come out with sweet tea. My goodness. So I'm not, it, it, these commonly used artificial sweeteners may be linked to heart disease. I'm against all artificial sweeteners. That's easy. I don't have to go into the article and find out which one they're talking about now. All right. Uh, we do have some things going on here that are rather important and futuristic, but now it's the future is now. And Gary Miles, the fine editor and publisher of the Detroit News, is here now with more on chat GPT. Gary, always a pleasure having you on board. Happy anniversary still. And I know this isn't what you're talking about, but there was a story uh, a long time ago saying how ChatGPT can improve racial disparities in healthcare. The latest story, three days ago, from Fortune magazine, AI chatbots perpetuate medical racism, new studies shows. So... Chat box, chat GPT, chat whatever it is, the computer's taking over, does not make sense. But you have a bone to pick with them as well. Good afternoon, Gary. Good to hear from you, Paul. I, I really appreciate your interest in this topic because it's vitally important to news and, and the information that people get every day and to make sure that it's news that they know and trust because as 
as things uh, move towards AI, uh, you just have to be careful and know what the source of the information is. And as it turns out, they have been using your newspaper and other newspapers across the country to train ChatGPT. Tell me more. Yeah, I mean, it's not unlike you've heard some artists complain about this, too, that if, if artificial intelligence can, can generate art, it must have gotten the foundation of art from somewhere. And in news, it's much the same. As ChatGPT comes out, you can, you can ask it about articles in the Detroit News. And, you know, the, uh, it will give you content from the Detroit News if you ask for it. And that's obviously of great concern to publishers because these bots are, are crawling or have potential to crawl the news sites and reproduce the information and fork it over to people on demand without anyone paying for a subscription. It's like uh, if you copied your high school term paper, um, you know, you'd get in trouble. Well, this is a... This is a free way for this information to get copied and out there without citing the source. You might say that Google does the same thing, but, you know, obviously if you Google a story, you'll get some links. And many times that drives traffic back to the original source, back to the Detroit News or whatever source you are seeking. Um, but the chatbots so far don't do that. They just pick up the, the information and, and provide it to you uh, from whatever source they're pulling from, oftentimes not telling you. And, uh, uh, you know, that's obviously a problem for newspapers. Yeah, and Gary Miles, editor and publisher of the Detroit News, looking out for his newspaper. It's tough enough in the newspaper business and the radio business and the television business these days without somebody stealing your information. I didn't realize, but upon looking into this, knowing you were coming on, Gary, that, that in fact at least 535 news organizations, including the New York Times, Reuters, the Washington Post, have installed a blocker that prevents their content from being collected and used to train ChatGBT. Have you done that now for the Detroit News? Yeah, the, the Detroit Media Partnership did that uh, through the parent company, Gannett, for the Detroit News, and I believe the Free Press, too. So that is blocked. And in the meantime, now the publishers are negotiating with um, uh, the, uh, the chat bot uh, makers to... Um, provide a remuneration for the for the news that they would pick up. If they want to scan and, and pick up our information, there should be some payment coming back to the publishers. And that might ultimately be the way it works out. Uh, but right now, there are, most major news organizations have blocked the ability for these crawlers to crawl news sites uh, and provide information for free. I see that back in April, Elon Musk began charging $42,000 for bulk access to posts on what was then called Twitter, which is now X, which previously had been free to researchers after he claimed that AI companies had illegally used the data to train their models. Yeah, and it's really the next iteration of providing information. It, the important thing you know, for people to know is that uh, these days, for most news organizations, um, digital subscriptions are really what are powering our efforts. You can no longer uh, rely merely on advertising to pay for the operations of the newsroom uh, and the organization. And that's okay. Subscribers to the Detroit News have been incredibly supportive, and, and it has turned out to be really a lifeline to the news industry. But if we start giving it away on the back end to AI, then, you know, these news organizations and ultimately the AI bots, because they won't have any information to get, 
will wither and you know we'll be much worse off uh, with a uh, with that with fewer reporters and fewer um, you know trustable news organizations. It's astonishing to hear people talk about these bots and how much they've kind of taken over in so many areas already. I was stunned to see how often they're used to write up uh, letters to patients from uh, from hospitals and from doctors that apparently the doctors submit what they found in their checkup, let's say, and the bot will uh, summarize it in a letter form, do a great job, and get it to the patient. I had no idea that was going on. Well, it has all kinds of ramifications. I have a uh, an acquaintance who happens to be a, a police officer who told me about an anecdote in which uh, one of his fellow police officers was called out for using a chat bot to um, to write up the police report. And you can imagine uh, something like that ever got – now, the, the officer had taken all the details, but, but asked the chat bot to put it in a more professionally written uh, way. And you can imagine uh, the, the evidentiary concerns there might be if, you, if you've got somebody having to testify that, well, no, I didn't write this report, chat bot – you know, chat GPT wrote it. Yeah. It is a changing world, and I appreciate you staying on top of it and keeping us on top of it. If you would do that, will you uh, report back with us from time to time how this this little, I guess, mini battle is going? for the? It's for your very existence, frankly. It is, and happy to do so, Paul. I appreciate the time. We will look forward to it, Gary. Thank you so much. Anything else we need to know before I let you go? No, I think that's it. Just uh, keep subscribing. Uh, we're we're happy to have all the subscribers at DetroitNews.com. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a deal for reliable news and information. Yep. I'm a subscriber, have been for a very long time. And uh, I, I get the newspaper. I love holding the newspaper in my hands and reading it. I know I might be prehistoric in that, but I also love being able to go online and get stories, which is, of course, for a talk show host, extremely uh, valuable. But I do pay. So, uh, um, you know, I, I'm still contributing to your existence and hope you're around forever, another 150 years. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. Take care. Gary Miles, editor, publisher, The Detroit News. And uh, they want payment for their work. And who can blame them for that? We all want payment for our work, don't we? Yes. We continue in focus. Hey, a great substitute host coming up. In for Chris Alberta. I mean, oh, I gave it away, didn't I? Too many Chris's. In for Chris Renwick. Yes, it's Chris Alberta, our old pal. And I'll get to listen to him. Usually he's filling in for me while I'm away. Now I get to listen to him as he fills in for Chris Renwick. Stand by. We'll have a little chit-chat. A little chin-wag, as my friend Bill Young and Vivian Young would say. A little chin-wag coming up. Be caller 9 at 1-800-859-0957. That's 1-800-859-0WJR. Caller 9 wins a pair of tickets to see a performance of Annie playing the Fox Theater May 3rd through the 5th, 2024. For a bonus chance to win, text keyword Annie to 800-859-0957. Official rules at WJR.com. Holding on to hope when times are tough can take an awful lot of determination and Sometimes an awful lot of determination comes in a surprisingly small package. Little Orphan Annie has reminded generations of theatergoers that sunshine is always right around the corner. Now the best-loved musical of all time is set to return in a new production, just as you remember it, 
and just when we need it most. Annie! Tickets available for purchase at 313presents.com and Ticketmaster. 313presents.com and Ticketmaster, or being the ninth caller through right now at 1-800-859-0-WJR. Well, I'm so excited about this. A, a friend who uh, has filled in for me a number of times is now filling in this afternoon for JR Afternoon. Chris Alberta in for Chris Renwick, and I know you're all ready to go. Paul W., I was born ready. I know you were, and uh, and, and you have your ankles taped, you're, you're, you're enthusiastic, you're full of good information, positive energy, and all good. I have to say one thing, though, that I found that I... I didn't believe I repeated it when I was told by Dave Rieger. He said, you know, he sold his Mustang. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I, you just had the Mustang when we went out to lunch this last time. There was the Mustang, and it was spectacular. How could you part company with that Mustang? What I'm, happened? It's a disease. The car enthusiast disease is one that has been beset on my family since the beginning of Alberta time. And I, occasionally... <laughs> I see something or I have something on my wish list that becomes very available. I got all these friends in the car business, wholesalers and, and collector guys. And when yeah. I find something I want, I go, okay, well, as long as I can sell this one and not lose money, I'll buy that one. And basically, it's just a revolving door of one really fabulous. I love to drive. I've, I am the Steve McQueen of Livingston County in my own mind. <laughs> Well, and when you're in big chases, I hope you don't lose five hubcaps during the chase. I won't. Well, I got a car seat in the back with a two-and-a-half-year-old. If I'm distracted on the oh, road, it's because okay. there's a, a Teletubby flying into the front seat or something. <laughs> All right, so you're not racing out there. Well, so did you get something new to replace that Mustang? I, I got a little German station wagon that I just love to pieces. You know, and when you say station wagon, that's an underwhelming statement. See, that's yeah. the, what you want to do is make people assume that you're just a very responsible, bald guy who occasionally fills in on the radio. And, you've, you know, you've done okay, but not too well. That's what we're after. <laughs> so you have a very unassuming station wagon. I, do. I can only imagine. I do. All right. What do we... There's so much to talk about. I'm excited because I'll actually be able to listen to you nonstop rather than you filling in for me when I'm somewhere out of the country. Well, that's a little nerve-wracking. But I tell you what, it's not too too dissimilar to what we did a week and a half ago when you were gone. It's like Groundhog Day, really. The same problems and the same issues persist. The Israel issue that won't go away, I have lots of thoughts on that. The UAW thing, ongoing. GOP is still an absolute circus of ineptitude when it comes to um, who's in charge of the brigade of loons at the moment. Yeah. And it's embarrassing, frankly, to be anybody who even remotely leans conservative. You say, are you guys serious? This is your window, man. Do something with it. It's it's so unfortunate. I and I thought it was just, you know, the Republican Party in Michigan is pretty uh, messed up. I'll mm -hmm. say, uh, but it's obviously a, a problem with the Republican Party across the country. I I don't know what happened or how it got this way. I do know that there are deep divides having to do with former President Donald Trump, the Trumpers, the never Trumpers, the once Trumpers but no more. Uh, I mean, the, the, it goes on and on, and it is causing them to fight amongst themselves and maybe destroy themselves on the way. I, I don't quite get it, frankly. It is, I think, probably the most unfortunate faction of the, of the Trump era that even despite the fact 
that he is currently removed from office and in his own world of troubles, he, his gigantic iron hand has such a grip on every small little nuance in the GOP, it actually freezes them from doing anything pragmatic and constructive. It's, it's really alarming. Well, because if you could discount the personality and focus in on the, the issues and the performance, lose the personality, but think about the performance. His performance was so much better than what we're going through now. Effective. It was effective, and and everybody was doing better than they are now. That's just that's the plight we have as a country that really has the leader of state and the leader of the country in this same role. You can't be a figurehead and a fabulous legislator seemingly at the same time. So, meanwhile, uh, talking with our friend Chris Alberta from Principium, he'll be filling in afternoon here for Chris Renwick. Do you get involved in the whole chat GPT? No. I am I am probably the least social media and AI um, savvy person that you know. I have a lot. I would of I would fight I would so. fight I would I would fight you on that, Chris, because I'm the least savvy. But I'll tell you, Dr. Saul Kogan, who we're having that little luncheon Wednesday, uh, he showed me this Chat GPT, and here's what he said. He said, "Paul, you should write a book." And I said, "Well, you know, I've, I've had people telling me that for years. Kim tells me that. a lot of people have said, well, you should write a book.' And I, I just never get, I never feel like I can get around to it. Then I feel like, who the hell wants to read that? But, but then he said, I'm going to send you something, and he sent me the foreword to the book I have not written. And I called him and I said, this is unbelievable. How did right. you, how did you do this? And you just told me about it. And he goes, Chat GBT." He had ChatGBT write a foreword to the book I haven't written by putting in a couple of facts. It was unbelievable. The end is near, Paul. It is. <laughs> but the good news is you're on the air the next two hours. Chris Alberta in for Chris Renwick. JR Afternoon. Break a leg. I know you do well, Chris. I'll be listening. And thanks for helping out again. You do such a great job. Hey, Thank make you. it a great rest of the day. And remember to make each and every day count because each day is a gift. And we add to that, too, nobody knows how much QTR they have. Nobody knows how much quality time remaining. Live each day to its fullest. I'll see you tomorrow. Regards, Paul W. Smith.